Some of uh, the biggest battles that you face in life are probably those battles that are unseen, right? Some of the things that uh, you struggle with the most um, is not something that's external, but it's something that's internal, right? It's typically probably something that goes on within your minds. On the outside, you might look great, you might look confident, uh, while on the inside, you're often feeling insecure or you're struggling. You might look strong, yet you feel weak. You might come into church or go into your workplace and you have a happy face on, everything looks great, but then you go home and you feel anxious or you feel worried or you're fearful or you live in, in dread. This is what it looks like for many of us if you battle with anxiety. And we're in this series called uh, Anxious for Nothing. And we're trying to answer this question, what do you do, right, when you find yourself battling with anxiety? It's uh, really great that you sang a song, Charlie, that was uh, written by somebody in prison because the text that we've been looking at uh, as we're in this series, is somebody who was writing from prison. As we look at Philippians 4, one of the things that's really important to be reminded of is where the person who is writing this text is actually writing it from. The situation that he finds himself in is very important for us to consider as we consider our own faith and how to deal with anxiety ourselves and how to follow the Lord ourselves. The man who wrote Philippians 4 is a man called Paul, and he's writing to a church that uh, he helped plant and that he really loves. And Paul is sitting in prison, uh, in a Roman prison, and he is waiting for trial, and he really doesn't know what is going to become of his life. He doesn't know if he's going to die there in prison or if he's going to continue on. He's um, has aged quite a bit by this time in his ministry, but he is just not really sure uh, what's going to happen to him. And yet he has this power in his life. And he has hope as he writes to this church. And he's trying to encourage them to have the same power and the same hope. And so if you've got your Bibles out or want to uh, follow along on the screen or in your notes, I encourage you to do so as I read out of Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. This is Paul from prison writing to the church. And this is what he tells them. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So here he tells us not to be anxious about anything. Well, what is anxiety? I didn't really define this the first week um, we got into this. According to the American uh, Psychology Association, it says it's an emotion character changes like and physical changes like increased blood pressure. So anxiety has a physical component. It has a, an emotional component. It has a sensational opponent. But I would also say it always has a spiritual component. Uh, and, and one of the reasons I would say that is both Paul and Jesus they, they, they reference it specifically. Right? They, they both talk about anxiety and, and what to do with it and try to help people to cope with it. And the truth is, anxiety in and of itself in small doses really isn't that bad for you. In fact, it can help you. If you are a little anxious about getting a project done at work and you need a little extra motivation, sometimes anxiety helps do that. 
Uh, if you need to get something done, that's basically sometimes anxiety helps you to get that done. It reminds you that hey, sometimes that you've procrastinated on this and you need to finish it. So it's not always bad. But if you have a lot of it and if you have it often, it's actually quite troubling and it can be even crippling and it can be very difficult. Now, anxiety in general is, is fairly complicated to treat. So I, I'm, and, and I'm not going to say, and I'm not going to shoot down any way to treat anxiety specifically. We know that um, if you battle with anxiety, right, there are counselors out there and there's nothing wrong with going to a counselor. I would encourage you if you battle with chronic anxiety to go to a counselor. Doctors can prescribe medicine for anxiety. I'm not going to put that down. Some people will change their diets to help uh, battle with anxiety. All of these things can be helpful and, and I encourage you to take a holistic approach. But approach I think that we often ignore when it comes to anxiety is the spiritual. Uh, here's why I believe that this is getting ignored, largely ignored, is because if you look around, right, and you do the research, there are probably more counselors than there ever have been in the history of the world. Right? We are prescribing more medicine than we've ever prescribed to battle with anxiety. Uh, you know, we are trying, we're changing our diets all the time to help with this sort of thing. But if you continue to read the data and if you continue to research about anxiety, anxiety continues to grow in our culture. We are becoming more anxious, not less anxious uh, right now as a people and even as a country. And I believe one of the reasons uh, we, this is happening to us is because we are largely forgetting a very important part of ourselves, maybe the most important part of ourselves, which is the spiritual or the soul. And so I'm not equipped to prescribe you medicine. I, I can do some counseling, right? I, I'm not a, not a dietitian, but one of the things that I can encourage you to do is to address the spiritual and not ignore the spiritual. So that's what we're doing, and that's what we're going to continue to do. And as we look at anxiety, we do need to, we do need to stop and we need to understand where to begin with it. Like, how, what, do we, what, do we, what do we do with it? And the first step basically is we have to recognize when it's beginning to exist. Now, I'm going to use a number of car references this morning. Um, we have a lot of car people in here, so I think this might work. But any of you ever seen that, like, yellow light that comes on on your dash, right, in your car? And it's got the engine, right? That's, what is that? It's the check engine light, isn't it? And, and so the check engine light, when it comes on, what is it alerting you to? That something is wrong with your car. It doesn't even tell you necessarily what is wrong with your car, but it tells you that something is wrong with your car, and it's really annoying because it, it just stays on, and you have no idea exactly what's wrong, but you know something is wrong. And unless you are, you are a car person, what do you have to do? What should you do? What do you need to do? You need to take it to the shop. You need to take it to the manufacturer. You need to take it to somebody who knows what to do to that car and how to, to check that car out. Now, the, the, the thing about the check engine light uh, is that the check engine light isn't the problem, is it? Right? The check engine light just tells you that you have a problem and that this problem needs to get fixed and that you need to get it back to the manufacturer or somebody who knows how to fix it. That is, is the same thing that you need to do right, in your life, when you begin to feel some anxiety, when you begin to, 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 to feel more stressed out than you, are typically stre than you typically feel, or a little more anxious than you typically feel, or a little more uneasy than you typically feel, what you need to do, right, is recognize that that is a check engine light that God has given you, and stop and pray. 
You need to go to God with that feeling, with that tension, with that piece of stress, with that sense of uneasiness, and you need to pray. God has designed us to come to him during that time when we feel that. And so if you're like me, though, what you often do is you ignore the light. I've never had a new car, right? I'll just confess. I've never had a new car. And um, (laughs) I've had a lot of old cars. And some old cars, that light just kind of stays on, right? And you're just going to keep driving it. Sometimes you can get away with it for a while, can't you? You sell the car. Why is that light on? I don't know. It's always been on. It's fine, right? It doesn't mean anything. The fuse is out, whatever. Uh, but if we do this in our life, what happens is our, our stressors or the things that cause those anxieties is they eventually compound. Because everything, for the most part, most of the things in that, that car, right, they're, they're connected. And so at some point, it's going to catch up to you. And so instead of a $600 bill, you're going to have a $2,000 bill because you didn't get it to the mechanic to, to get it fixed. And I, I've discovered, I'm just, I'm like that, right? I'll drive the car with the check engine light on if it's still running. <laughs> it's a mechanic over there. So... Uh, the, the, the problem with that is, is that your, your problems compound and your anxiety gets worse. Uh, and I, I struggle with that because the busier I get, typically the more anxious I get. And the more anxious I get, the busier I, I, I sometimes make myself. And I'll be completely honest with you, that's often the time when I pray the least amount. It, it's the time where I feel like I don't have time to stop and pray. Now, that may sound like a, a weird thing from, from your pastor, but I'll be completely honest with you. The, 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 the busier I get, that's the easiest thing to skip. Right? That's the one thing that you don't see that I don't do, probably. Right? You don't see a number of things, but like, you would never know if I never prayed, for the most part, except on Sunday morning. It's true. Right? You would know if I didn't prepare this sermon. Right? If, I, if I didn't finish writing this sermon, my staff would know if I had no idea what was going on at staff meeting. Uh, people would know if I didn't show up to, to different community things or, or whatever it, it, it might be. But for the most part, right, you, you're not going to know whether or not I spent time alone with the Lord praying. And so this is probably the easiest thing for even me to skip if I don't slow down when that check engine light comes on. And it, it may be true for you. But it may not be true for you. Maybe, right, the busier you get, the more you pray. I don't know what it is. But whatever makes you anxious, right, do you slow down? When that, that, that check Lucy light comes on, right, what, what do you do? Whether it be at work, uh, maybe it be a problem with your finances, maybe with relationships, maybe with a death in the family, or just bad news, how, what's your immediate reaction to the stressors in your life, or the things that cause anxiety? Is it to, to stop and pray, or is it to do something completely different? Now, this is really important, especially if you're going to follow Christ. This is really important, because if you aren't stopping and praying, what you are doing is you are operating your own life under your own power. If you say every time that, that you get anxious or that you get troubled, that I got this, right? What you, you are essentially doing is denying God's power and God's plan for you to be dependent on him. 
Because you are designed to be dependent on God. Right? You, you really are. You're designed for that. Uh, I told you I had a number of car references to make. Some of you know that I worked for a summer at General Motors to help kind of in between uh, while I was uh, attending school and to earn, earn a couple extra bucks. And so while I worked at General Motors, uh, I learned a little bit about how our cars go together. And, and uh, if I don't get this exactly right, I'm sorry, but I worked in the body shop. And what I learned is basically um, we, built, we built envoys and um, trailblazers at the shop that I was in. And so the, the car basically starts with a frame that's put together, and the frame goes on the line, and then the engine goes on, and then it com- continues to move down the line, and then it goes to the body shop, which is where I spent most of my time, and you, you put the entire body on, like, so everything you see from the outside, the, the, the metal around the car. And it goes through, and then it goes to paint, and then after paint, all the trim goes in, your seats, your wires, all, all that fun stuff that gets put in, and the, and the car just keeps going down the line, uh, until it's finished, and then it comes off the line, and it gets shipped right to the dealership. Now, what's interesting about uh, these cars is it can go all the way through right, the line, and you can look at it, and it can look perfectly done and like a perfectly functioning car and a great car, but that car doesn't run unless something happens to it first. What is it? It needs gasoline, right? The, the car is powered by gasoline. It it can look great on the outside. You can say, oh, that's a beautiful car. It is designed to run, but that car is designed to be fueled and refueled by gasoline. That car is dependent on gasoline to run, and without gasoline, that car will not run. You are like that car, right? You will not have the power in your life to keep moving forward without prayer, at least not the way you were designed to move forward in. And you will not have the power that you could have if you would pray. And so just as stopping for gas is important if you're going to own a car, right? It shows, by the way, that you're smart enough to realize that your car is dependent on gasoline. The same is true for you as a human being. You are designed to stop and pray. You're designed to be dependent on the power of God, and that power comes through prayer. And so if you are not doing that, you're operating on your own power. And this is, this is, the Christian life is not a life where you operate on your own power. You are reliant on the power of God. And so if you're taking notes, this is the time to write this down. Prayer acknowledges your dependence on God and taps into God's power in your life. And without it, you're not doing either one. You're not acknowledging your dependence on God, and you're not tapping into his power in your life. Now, some of us, right, you, you, when we think about this, like, oh, okay, do I need the Lord's help with this? I don't, you know, or whatever. You're struggling with this because it makes you feel weak. And I, I'm just going to tell you, if that's the case, you need to get over it, right? Nobody looks at a Corvette and goes, you know what? <laughs> that Corvette is weak because it runs on gasoline. I mean, you might not like Corvettes, but you, you, would, never, you would never say that. You would acknowledge that it is dependent on that. Uh, Peter put it like this as he was writing to the church. He said, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring Humble yourselves. It's interesting. Prayer is humbling. If you never pray and you struggle with anxiety, and I'm going to... Right, I'm, I'm going to say this, not, 
Not th saying that if you, if you go to counseling or if you take medicine, that is a bad thing. But this is, this is true still, too, here. If you never pray and you struggle with anxiety, your anxiety may be linked to your lack of dependence on God. The type of humility Peter is trying to get you uh, to have here is a humility that says, I will trust God to take care of me. If you, if you believe this, if you believe that you have to figure out all of your own ways to solve all of your problems, or if you have to have other people try to figure out how to ha solve all your problems, what Peter is trying to get you to do is to say, no, let some of your problems be solved by the mighty hand of God. Give them to God and trust God. Jesus essentially says the same thing in Matthew 6. Jesus commands us not to be anxious about anything. He begins this, his diatribe about that in Matthew 6 by actually talking about our finances. He says, of course you're going to worry about your finances. But right, don't, don't put your hope in your finances. And then he says, do not be anxious about anything. He says, don't be anxious about what you eat or about what you wear or <laughs> about, about what people think about you. Anything like that. And Jesus says, Jesus says the power, by the way, to deal with anxiety he says it's faith. He boils it down and he says the solution to dealing with anxiety is faith. And this is why Peter can say, cast all your anxieties on him. Peter is saying the exact same thing. That we need to be casting our anxieties on God and trusting God, believing that he will take care of us. He will give us what we need when we need it. Because the truth is, right, if you are naturally an anxious person, right, even if you have all the money in the world, even if you have the nicest clothes in the world, the best family in the world, the, you know, the nicest house in the world, the best job in the world, the, the, the truth is, is that you will still be anxious with all of that. Right? That, that does not relieve your anxieties. It may, it may help you with some of your immediate problems for a time. And there's nothing wrong, right, with being able to meet your immediate needs financially or whatever that might be. But, right, that's not going to make you less anxious, though, without faith and believing in God and trusting in Him to take care of you. Now, what I want us to see here from Peter as well is that the devil will try to keep you from dealing with your anxiety. The, the devil will try to keep you from praying. If you are somebody who struggles to pray, it, that makes the devil really happy. He will try to make sure that you live a life where you are trusting in yourself. That you are just kind of walking along and you believe that you can fix everything, that you can handle everything. And then eventually he will allow things to pile up and he will hope things that will pile up. And you will put things on your shoulders hoping that the weight of your circumstances will crush you. That, that is what he, he is up to. One of the ways that I, I believe that he does this is he will make your life seem so bad. He will wreck everything that is good in your life, or seemingly so, at least. Uh, this is why I, I think if you go back to Philippians 4, what Paul tells us is as you pr go to prayer and petition, you need, to give, you need to give thanks. And what I've discovered in my own life Right, and you've probably discovered this too. I think this is true for most people. What we used to give thanks for, right, uh, like be really thankful for and even pray for, now are the very causes of our anxiety. Think about that for a second. Right? 
Maybe, you know, you think of some of you are maybe in college or you think back to your college days that you prayed to get into that school. You get into that school and now you're anxious because you have to make the grades to stay in that school. Uh, maybe some of you prayed to get married. Right? Now what makes you anxious? <laughs> maybe for the job. You get the job that you always wanted. You prayed for that job. Now that job is the source of your anxiety, your health. You prayed for good health. Maybe you have good health, but then you, when you think about it, like you realize that you're not always going to have good health. I didn't, I didn't used to wear glasses. 2015 vision, better than 2020, right? Maybe the church. You prayed to find a good church family. And yet, people in it sometimes are the cause of your, your anxiety. And, and what Peter teaches us and what Paul teaches us here is that prayer protects us from the devil trying to destroy what is good in our lives and keeps us from a defeatist attitude. Because so often, right, it's so easy to fall into that trap and worry even about the good things in our lives. And so when we pray, we're going to give, pray, we're going to give thanks for the blessings that are in our lives. And so when we're in school, we're going to give thanks that God put us in a school where many people could never get in or many people may never have the opportunity to even go to a, a nice school or have the opportunity to learn the things that we are learning and do the things that we are doing. We're going to give thanks for our spouse no matter, no matter what because God gave us that spouse and God is using that spouse for our good and for his glory, even if it's not in a good situation at the moment, we are learning how to be in a covenant relationship with somebody and how to be committed to somebody. We're going to give thanks for our children, even when they're driving us crazy, because God is teaching us how to continue to love somebody with all of our heart, mind, and soul, even though they don't listen to us, right? So, <laughs> got an amen on that, right? We're going to give thanks for our job that provides for us and provides for others, we're going to give thanks for our. We're going to give thanks for our, our church that helps us to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to give thanks when we pray because it protects us from the devil. Because the devil does not want us to pray. The devil wants us to destroy our lives. Right? He does. He does. I, I want you to just this. Not. I, I don't want this to get lost on you here as we look at Philippians four and we just contemplate what is going on as Paul is writing from prison. Think about it. Paul is in prison for what? Paul is in prison for Christ. And what is Paul most thankful for in his life? Christ. So the thing, same thing that is bringing him the... I want to read this to you. I didn't put this in your notes. I, want to, I put it in yesterday while we were traveling. But this is Philippians 1, 18-21. It says, yes, I will rejoice. This is Paul writing to the church earlier in the letter. He says, yes, I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So Paul is in prison for Christ here, yet he does not stop giving thanks for Christ, while at the same time he prays and he asks for prayer requests to be delivered from prison, but he knows that even if he dies, God's provision is bigger than that prison, prison that he's in. Right? 
So he gives God thanks daily for Christ and whom he's in prison for and prays that the power of God would remove him from that prison he's in. And so both of these things are true at the very same time, which is really interesting. Paul prays to get out of prison, yet Paul has peace in prison. He does not like being there, and yet he has peace while he is there. How can both of these be true? Because he believes that God has allowed it, and he trusts God. It's faith. It's doing what Jesus commands us to do with our anxieties. It's simply trusting God. And this is why Paul can say the peace of God will surpass all understanding. It's really interesting, right? And maybe this still isn't making sense to you. It doesn't tell a lot of people. I was, not long ago, there was some Christian music in the background. And basically the song was, Lord, remove me from the situation, but if you don't, I'll trust you anyways. And the person, who was, it was, as it was kind of going on, looked at me and he said, he kind of mocked it a little bit and said, you know, well, God get me out of this situation, but it would be fine if you don't. Like a lot of Christian songs are like that. I said, yeah, they are. I said, people need that. I said, and for people who believe in the power of resurrection, it's true. That's all I said. And I stopped there and just kind of went on with what we're doing. The peace of God will surpass all understanding. The, the truth is that the human mind has all sorts of reasons to be anxious if it can't ascend to something higher than itself. Right? Until we trust God whose ways are higher than our ways, we will remain anxious. Paul doesn't understand the details of why he is in prison. I mean, he knows he's there because what he is proclaiming is illegal. He gets that. But he can't see into the future. We can't see in the future. We don't know why we go through what we're going through necessarily or how God is going to use it. But... He believes that God is going to use it, and he believes that God is near him and that he is there and that God will work it out for his good and the good of others while he's there. And so Paul finds himself in all circumstances both thankful for and dependent on God. And he expresses that through prayer. Prayer releases anxiety as he throws himself under God's mighty hand, as we are told by Peter, that he will be lifted up in due time. So Paul does not need to understand all of the details of why he is in prison, but he knows that God cares for him. He knows that he is not in prison because God is out to get him. Rather, God loves him and is there for them, him even while he is in prison. He is there for a reason. His prison, imprisonment is there for a reason, even if he can't see the exact reason and the exact time. So Paul reminds, right? So prayer reminds Paul of this. And it reminds God, it reminds Paul of the way that God is present, even in a difficult situation. And it keeps, it keeps the devil from destroying his life. It keeps anxiety from destroying his life. Now, I don't know, right, if you deal with anxiety um, or if you're maybe anxious today or whatever. Sometimes just talking about anxiety can make you anxious. I get that, right? It's kind of a catch-22 a lot. Of, like, if you don't talk about it, you'll be less anxious sometimes. Uh, but if, if you battle with anxiety or if you find yourself anx anxious from time to time or if you have something in your life that is making you anxious at this moment, 
God wants to hear about it. He, he does. And he wants to hear about it because he cares for you. And I can't tell you, right, necessarily as your pastor all the time, why God allows certain things to happen in your life or why this particular thing is there, but I know it's, but it's making you anxious. But what I know is that through prayer, prayer is one of the, the avenues that God gives us where we can experience peace if we will enter into it. So if you are low, right, pray that God will lift you up. If you are struggling to give thanks for a blessing in your life, pray that the devil won't rob you of the joy that God intended you to give you with that blessing. Perhaps some of you, like right now, that check engine light is starting to come on. And it's not a really, real big deal right now, right? You can function with it. You can go out throughout your life. You're, you're, I mean, for the most part, right, you can still drive. Uh, but God is telling you, hey, you need to pray about this. You need my perspective on this. You need my help for this. You need my power for this. Yeah. Uh, I want you to take time to pray. I've gotten to the point anymore, if I'm going to talk about prayer on Sunday morning, I'm going to give us a time to pray on Sunday morning. Because if I were to guess, right, prayer is something that we probably don't get enough of um, and that we don't do enough of. Uh, and so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask Charlie to come up, and he's going to just pr- play through a couple songs. The altars are open, and so if you want to kneel in prayer, I, I encourage you to do that. We didn't get rid of the altar so that they would be here for prayer time. Uh, during the services. One of the times, one of the things that the altars do is it gets you kneeling before God. It gets you bowing and believing that you need God's power in your life, right? You're, that you're seeking his provision. The altars are, are there for that as you bow before God. Uh, I'm going to come forward. I'll come down here. And if you want me to pray for you, I will pray for you. If some of the elders want to come down here and be a part of my prayer time with anybody who wants to come and pray with me, I encourage the elders to come. Charlie's going to begin with this song, and uh, I just want to read you the words here. Sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer. That calls his throne. Make all my wants and wishes known. And seasons of distress and grief my soul has often found relief and oft escaped the temper's snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, the joys I feel, the bliss I share of those who anxious spirits burn with strong desires for thy return. With such, a hast- <laughs> with such I hasten to the place where God my Savior knows his face. And gladly take my station there and wait for thee, sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, and wait for thee, sweet hour of prayer. Father, at this time I pray, Father, that you see and hear a praying church. I pray that we bring our request to you so that the peace of God may transcend all understanding. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.